we sort of stumbled into a sermon series in Luke. Uh, we started up with Nazareth and Sephora, where Jesus announces his, uh, the coming of his kingdom. He makes his way down from there to Capernaum and the Sea of Galilee, and that's where we left him last week. And now, just a little ways away from the Sea of Galilee is this Sermon on the Plain. So if you will turn with me to Luke chapter 6, beginning at verse 17. Luke 6, 17. And listen then for the voice of God. He went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples were there and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem and from the coastal region around Tyre and Sidon who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by evil spirits were cured and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them. Looking at his disciples, he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. So rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven for that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. But woe to you who are rich for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now for you will mourn and weep. And woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. The word of the Lord. <laughs> Are you sure? <laughs> At the northwest corner of the Sea of Galilee, uh, so uh, full disclosure, uh, wrote some of this six years ago, rewrote it all this week, um, but we looked at this six years ago. At the northwest corner of the Sea of Galilee, there's a lovely green hill that rises up from the shore. The hill is wide, the slope is gentle, and the middle is kind of concave, forming a natural amphitheater. As the traditional location for the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus would have stood on that hill and spoke to those gathered, blessed are the poor in spirit. So today, 
The ruins of a fourth century monastery can be seen at the bottom of that hill, and the top features a chapel that's built and maintained by the Franciscans. Today, the hill is covered with flowering bushes, manicured lawns, and quiet places to read and reflect on the words of Jesus. If you're not distracted by people taking selfies or the giant parking lot lined with buses. There is no such place of remembrance for the Sermon on the Plain. There's no chapel, garden, or tour guide. There's no souvenir shop or respite for spiritual pilgrims. In Luke's Gospel, this is just before we picked up today, Jesus prays at night on a mountainside, and in the morning he gathers his disciples, designates 12 as apostles, and then descending the mountain, stops at a level place and delivers a sermon. In the Gospel of Matthew, he goes up the mountain to preach. Now, I guess it could be the same place. Some think that Matthew set Jesus' Sermon on the Mount to hearken back to Moses on the mountain receiving the law But Luke places it on a plane to remind us that Jesus was one of us, human and accessible. The sermons are similar. So maybe the setting is less historical and more theological. And quite frankly, the hill is flat-faced and wide, so one person's mountain is another person's plane? Could be the same place. I say tomato, you say tomato. Who knows? I'm struck by Luke's setup. Luke emphasizes the size of the crowd and uses geographic markers that point to its cultural and ethnic breadth. These are not just followers from Galilee, but from far and wide. These are the tired, the poor, the huddled masses yearning to breathe free. And Luke notes that they are trying to touch Jesus because power, dynamis, is coming from him and healing them. Roseland Christian Ministries has started a substantial building renovation. As part of spreading that news and seeking donations, they sent out a little video this week that opens with David Walker singing Walk with me, Lord, walk with me. While I'm on this tedious journey, I want Jesus to walk with me. And then as he walks down the street, he's joined by Betty Johnson and Bebe and Miss Watts and Ulysses 
etc., etc. A crowd of grandmothers and children, old folks and young men, gradually join in this old gospel song as they walk towards the center. I want Jesus to walk with me. It's beautiful. Chris Pirick, by the way, hope. Sandy Nelson, by the way, hope. Joe Heisinger, by the way, hope. Put this thing together. I'll send out a link this week to it. It's beautiful, it's powerful, it packs a wallop. That wallop is punctuated when you know their stories. There's recovering drug addicts and hookers. Most have family members who've been shot. There's a gay guy who was beaten and drugged behind a car within an inch of his life. Many have mental health issues. There are refu literally refugees, ex-cons, homeless kids, the blind and the lame, the unemployed and the grieving, and to them Jesus says, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of heaven, for the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. There's a chapel commemorating the Sermon on the Mount because the language is sublime. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. But the Sermon on the Plain is jagged and jarring. The ground is dusty. The stink of desperation hangs in the air, and the crowd is the last, the least, and the left behind. And there's no chapel for them. There's no cross-stitched pillows quoting Jesus. There's something profoundly human, earthy, and broken. I want Jesus to walk with me. I want Jesus to walk with me. And to them, Jesus speaks statements of blessing and woe. In our context, Blessed, our context, blessed has a churchy feel that means fortunate or favored by God. Blessed. In the New Testament, it's a slippery word that's difficult to translate, but its use in our text is familiar. Jesus is using a proverbial framework, a framework for Proverbs a two-part affirmation that's offered, that offers a common wisdom. Blessed are those who floss, for their gums will be healthy and their teeth will be happy. Blessed are those who use sunscreen, for their skin shall remain smooth and supple. Blessed are those who arrive early, for they have their choice of seats. You get the idea. 
Jesus takes that familiar framework and turns it on its head. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are you when people hate you and exclude you and insult you. And that would have pulled up the listeners by the short hairs. This isn't how things are supposed to work. And then Jesus doubles down by adding statements of woe. And again, the woes are not in the Sermon on the Mount. And again, woe is sort of hard to translate. Woe does not mean unhappy or cursed or damned. But chances are that it was more of an attention-getter or an emotion-setter. One scholar likens it to yikes. Blessed, yikes. The point being that Jesus takes the conventional wisdom of the world and flips it over. The things we think are advantages are actually illusions. And it's worth noting that these beatitudes are not directions or instructions or advice. They're not telling us what to do, but from Jesus' perspective, they're telling us the way things are. Barbara Brown Taylor offers this take. Since we're used to hearing them by now, it's hard for us to get a sense of their original shock value. Perhaps if I said, blessed are you who suffer from cancer, for you'll be made whole. Or blessed are you whose prayers are not answered, for you shall see God face to face. Perhaps if I said, woe to you who drive new cars, for you shall walk on foot. Or woe to you with college degrees, for you've received your reward. Now that's crazy talk. That's not mountain talk or plain talk. That's crazy talk. Amen? There's nothing blessed about being poor, hungry, or hated. There's nothing blessed about being a refugee on the run. There's nothing blessed about having cancer or being abused or living on the margins. And woe to you with privilege? That's a bridge too far. We earned what we have. We worked hard. Nobody handed me anything. Dear friends, what are we to make of these opening refrains from Jesus' Sermon on the Plain? What are we to make? 
Let me offer a couple observations. And I offer these tentatively because there is still a bunch of mystery here that I don't get. The blessings and woes of Jesus are not meant as observational proverbs about life. They're performative. And that's to say that the words have power and perform or make true what they represent. These are statements about what's true today and what will be true when the kingdom comes in fullness. As Jesus says them, they're an eschatological reality, and they're of one piece with Jesus' first public statement in his hometown synagogue. Think of it as one long sermon. They're of one piece with the opening words when Jesus says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He set me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. The words are performative. Even in the hope of a great reversal, they're fulfilled today. Again, Barbara Brown Taylor thinks of them as something akin to a Ferris wheel. Listen to her description. Jesus doesn't tell anyone to do anything. Instead, he describes different kinds of people hoping his listeners will recognize themselves as one kind or another. And then he makes the same promise to all of them. The way things are is not the way they will always be. The Ferris wheel will go round so that those who are swaying at the top with the wind in their hair and all the world's lights at their feet will have their turn at the bottom. While those who are down right now, where all they can see are candy wrappers in the sawdust, will have their chance to touch the stars. It's not advice at all. It's not even judgment. It's simply the truth about the way things work, pronounced by someone who loves everyone on that Ferris wheel. And that's to say that on a plain in Galilee or a street in Roseland or a sanctuary in Oak Forest, that this world will be turned upside down. A kingdom is come and coming. Jesus is describing the reality of that kingdom and is prescribing what is to come.
One last thing. There's a forward lean to this text. The blessings and woes reach toward a future that is yet to be realized. They're, they peer over the ridge at the dawning of a new day. And over that ridge, there's a great reversal. That reversal is a recurring theme in the Gospel of Luke. Things will get turned over, flipped around, turned on their head from the Song of Mary to the inaugural Sermon of Jesus to the way that Luke frames the crucifixion. There's a change a-coming. The hungry will be fed. The thirsty will be satisfied. The lonely will be surrounded by family. Those weeping will have their tears wiped away. The dead will be resurrected. Now that, that may seem like pie in the sky. But our, our calling is to live by the vision and values of that great reversal. Our calling is to see and love one another in that light. The human plight is hard and brutal, but it's not the full story. to those who are healthy and well-fed, to those who are eating in a soup kitchen, to those who are hiding secrets, to those who think their good fortune is a sign of God's favor, to those who are weary, dirty, and distressed, to those battling demons. Jesus says, the kingdom is come and coming. We're all in this together. A communion of saints. All on the same plane. All on the same wheel. All belonging to one another. All belonging to God in Christ. And the Sermon on the Plain is a glimpse of that reality. May we be receptive and responsive to that vision. Amen.